morning our text is verse 23 to verse 28. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Please follow along as I read God's holy word. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hard words this morning, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We have your word before us. These are words that Jesus spoke to scribes and Pharisees 2,000 years ago. The scribes and Pharisees needed to hear these words 2,000 years ago, and because it's in Scripture, we need to hear it today. We pray that you'd speak to us through your word. Change us through your word. Increase our wisdom and increase our love through the ministry of your word. We pray these things in Please be seated. As you're finding your seats, I'd ask you to have your outlines nearby and your Bibles open to Matthew 23. If you didn't bring your Bible, the verses should be on the screen behind me. For those of you that are readers, it's possible in your reading that you read older books. And there's always the challenge with older books of figuring out as you're reading the book different cultural things that are connected to the culture of the time frame when the book was written. I've been reading with my kids 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and it's written from a different time. So to remind yourself that when these things were being spoken of, these things, the ships that were imagined in the book, they weren't around yet. And reminding yourself of what it would have been like the original reader, so you can get the, the magnificence and wonder it would have been for those first readers. Uh, Sometimes when you're studying those kind of books, we'll call them the gaps. And when you're reading old books, we have gaps we have to bridge. Maybe the book was written in a different language, so we have a language gap. Maybe the book was written where the culture is as vastly different as can be, then we got a culture gap. All sorts of different potential gaps we have, especially as the books get older and older. And when we're talking about the Bible before us, We're talking about a book that the newest parts of the New Testament are still about 2,000 years old. So it was written about 2,000 years ago. It was written in a different language on the other side of the world in a very, very different culture. We have gaps. To best understand what we have before us, we have the job of not just reading what's before us, 
but trying to properly bridge the gaps. And sometimes that's harder than others. The text that we have before us today is talking about a theme. And that theme revolves around hypocrisy and it revolves around people trying to impress those around them. That is a theme that is timely, obviously. No matter the culture, no matter the place in the globe, there are definitely people everywhere and every time that need to be told the warnings of hypocrisy and the warnings of living for others instead of living for the Lord. So we have this text before us. Pastor Brian began this series a couple of weeks ago. So all of chapter 23 is very much connected. It's very much the same lesson, the same speech, the same lecture, whatever you want to call it. We're in the middle of the woes. So as we get to verse 23, we have that word woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, saw the word woe last week. We saw the word hypocrite last week. So to remind ourselves that that word woe, that, that, that's a word of shame. It's a word of rebuke. It's some language is literally a word of curse. It's a, it's a real harsh word. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You are hypocrites. I think there's a picture of masks behind me at some point in the next few minutes. If we can get the screens work. And you've probably seen the masks before. The word hypocrite in the Greek literally means the one who wears the mask. This takes us back to how theater used to be performed in Jesus' day. So if we can envision going to the theater, we'd be at the amphitheater, we'd be seated appropriately so we could hear the performers. And when the performers came out in that culture, they would literally wear masks. So when the performer would be reciting their lines, if the performer was supposed to be sad, he would hold up the sad mask, and he would deliver the lines. And so you knew as the audience, when the actor is saying those lines with that mask, the character is sad. And then a few minutes later, the actor would hold up the other mask, and you would know when you're hearing those lines, the character in the performance is supposed to be, at that time, happy. You're the one who, at the right times, wears the mask. So if you were walking to the market and you asked someone, what's your profession? And their answer was, I'm a hypocrite. They would be saying, I'm a stage performer. I wear masks. I recite lines. I memorize my lines and I go out and I perform at the amphitheater. At the, I hold my mask as I perform on the stage. In that context, to say, I am a stage performer, I am a hypocrite, that wouldn't have been insulting. That would have been a profession. It would have been just as good as any other profession. Nothing wrong with that, of course. But if I point my finger at you and I say, you're a hypocrite. You're an actor. You're a pretender. That was as insulting back then as it would be today. You're not real. You're not showing me the real you. You're portraying something that's fake. You are acting. 
was a sharp word from Jesus. And we see every time he says hypocrite, he then gives the reason. He's not just blankly throwing darts at him. He's got a reason. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. So in this situation, the reason they're called hypocrite here is because of their tithing principles. Now that I'm a pastor, every time the word tithe comes up, I have to teach about it, right? It's part of my job. Um, And maybe when you heard that word tithe, you kind of cringed a little bit. I think we all know that there are those churches where it seems like every single week it's a sermon on tithe. And they're always asking for your money. So so maybe you came from one of those churches and you're like, I don't want to hear that. And some churches know that. So some pastors avoid ever teaching about tithing because they don't want to offend anybody. And that's wrong too. If the church always preaches, give us your money, that's wrong. And if the church never touches tithe, that's wrong because the Bible says a lot about tithes. And so it's the responsibility of the pastor to teach whatever's before them in God's word. So if we're talking about tithing, it is in scripture. You can probably hear it in the word. Tithe literally comes from the word tenth, 10%. Okay, so in the Old Testament, there were very clear commands on the importance of the Israelites giving their tithe. There's a few verses that should be on the screen behind me. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 6. There you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offerings of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks. You look at that verse, you say, that sounds like they're giving an awful lot more than a tithe. And they did. If we look at the way the Israelites were supposed to give way back in the theocracy of Israel, according to some uh, Jewish historians, they were probably given 22, 23% of their finances and their crops and stuff. And it was more than just the finances. We remind ourselves that, that the theocracy of Israel was very different than us today. Here in America, we've got a separation of church and state. They didn't have that in Israel. The, the, the religious world and the political world very much were connected in Old Testament Israel. So there was more giving. And then we also remind ourselves that your livelihood in Old Testament Israel was very much based on land. You had land and you did something with your land. You grew crops, you had cattle, you had something If we remember our Old Testament really well, there was one tribe that didn't have any land. The Levites had no land, but the Levites still had families. They had need to provide for their families. So the way of provision for the Levites was when the other 12 tribes were very faithful and they gave of their tithes and their offerings. Some of that was burned unto the Lord in sacrifice and some of that was distributed among the Levites so they could care for their family. So tithing was a holy act, tithing offerings. Those were also ways to care for those in need, to care for those that took care of the religious life in your community. Very, very important thing. Look how seriously God takes it in Malachi. Malachi 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes offerings. God's rebuking Israel. You're bringing the worst of your crops. You're bringing the worst 
of your cattle. You, you're propping yourselves up as these holy followers of God, and you're doing the least possible. And in that way, it's theft. It's robbery. When we look at what the New Testament has to say about giving, we don't see a lot of focus on literally giving 10% as opposed to the portion. It's much more based on your heart when you give. We look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So then each one, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we still have a responsibility as God's people to, to give, to, to give to your local church, to give to charities, to give to those around you in need. We see that we were just finished up the communicable attributes in, in, the, um, in our Bible study class at 10 o'clock. Communicable means God shares it with us. So we see in the most famous verse of the Bible, God so loved, then what do you do? Gave very much connected to love is giving. So we, as followers of God, saved by grace, we should be a giving people. Giving to the church, giving to one another, giving to those in need. So when Jesus is talking here to the Pharisees, he's not saying, don't tithe. But you look at what was happening with the tithing in verse 23. You Pharisees, here's what you're doing hypocritically. You pay tithe of mint, anise, human, but neglecting something else. So we've got this example. The Pharisees, the scribes, they're priding themselves, boasting, lifting themselves up. Look at how holy we are. We tithe even of the little herbs that we grow in the garden. And again, if you study the Old Testament, there was a giving of the crops, a tithing of the crops. So here are the Pharisees saying, look at us, our devotion is such, the little herbs that we grow in our garden, cut them up, we measure them very carefully. We make sure 10% goes to the church because we love the law of God and we love the Lord. And you look at that and you go, wow, I don't take that kind of time. I'm not that devoted to the word that I literally measure out the little herbs from my garden. Wow, maybe I need to step up my game. Wow, they're so much holier than I am. And if you're thinking that, you're thinking exactly what the Pharisees want you to think. And Jesus looks at those actions, he looks at their heart, and he says, you're a hypocrite. You're a mask wearer. You are portraying yourself as holy, as devoted to the law, when you couldn't be further from the law, and it's shown because you reject three really, really important things. Justice and mercy and faith. And they should have known the importance of justice, mercy, and faith if they are that devoted to the Bible as they claim to be. Let's look at Micah, one of the most important verses in the Bible as far as I'm concerned. Micah 6, verses 6 through 8. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? 
He has shown you, O man, what is right. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. Micah is speaking at a time where, stop me if this sounds familiar, the Israelites were really full of themselves. And they thought, we've got this holiness thing down pat. Look at how much God is pleased with us because look at all the riches we have. Look at how beautiful our dining room table is. Look at how wonderful our house is. And God is rebuking them harshly through Micah. You've got all those riches because you're taking advantage of the poor. You're not caring for their ability to have the land. You're defrauding them to load your own bank account and claiming you're holy. You were truly holy to take care of those around you. Stand for justice. Micah rebuked them. And here a few hundred years later, it's pretty much the exact same rebuke. You think in your offering you're pleasing God. If you truly had a heart for God, you'd recognize those around you in need and you'd care for them. That's devotion to God. And let's go back to the herb thing. Wow, it sounds so holy. They're measuring up 10% to give to the herbs. Let's think about that. How much did that cost them? Nothing. They gave this much. They're not going to miss that. They're portraying themselves, putting themselves on this pedestal, be in awe of us. What you are doing is as ridiculous as ignoring a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now, what? The gnat was the smallest of the unclean creatures listed in Leviticus. The camel was the largest of the unclean creatures. So Jesus chose these creatures for a reason. And he's doing it in such a way, you're supposed to be, hear this and go, what? So imagine you go out to lunch with a Pharisee, and the waiter brings the lunch, and the Pharisee's appalled. There's a gnat in my lemonade. They go to their holiness box, because they always have it. And they've got their little strainer in their holiness box. And they take great pain to get every single little part of the gnat out of their lemonade. So they now have a ceremonially clean lemonade. Good, now it's ready for consumption. They take their drink of lemonade, and then they go to their salad... And on their salad is a whole dead camel. The filthiest animal. They're not bothered by that. They got the gnat out, and then they go to their salad. Look at the words. It doesn't say they chewed a, swallow, a camel. They swallowed it. So the, then the Pharisee unhinges his jaw like an anaconda to swallow the camel whole. If you're watching this, you're saying... Don't tell me you care about holiness by getting rid of the gnat when you have no problem swallowing a whole camel. That's absurd. Jesus says, you know what's more absurd? You Pharisees. You Pharisees going through this process while ignoring those that truly have needs, that's more absurd. Woe to you. Shame on you. Harsh word. Done. 
Roman numeral two. The next two woes are very much connected. Let's read them together. We see in verse 25, the next woe, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Then we see, again, very similar in verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. I think we're seeing in both of these analogies, the Pharisees are ultra-focused on the outside appearance and ignoring what's inside. Sort of the cup thing first. You got your cup. So you're the Pharisee and you're inviting somebody from the church over for lunch and you need to keep up appearances. You need to make sure they know that you are special, that you are holy. So you work long and hard cleaning the outside of your big chalice, your royal mug that you're going to use for dinner and you're polishing and you're shining and you're cleaning. You're ignoring the inside because your guest is not going to see the inside, and your goal is to impress them. There you are cleaning the, in, the outside, and the inside is, and this is where I was, I was spending time thinking, like, what's the most gruesome thing I could say for the inside? It's almost lunchtime, so I'm going to let you guys use your imagination. But as you're thinking this, you have to think. It's not just, oh, it wasn't cleaned last week. It's revolting. What is inside should never get near your mouth. But you're still going to use that dish, that cup, at dinner. And it's not going to bother you. Because your main objective is not your health. Your main objective is impressing the person that's having dinner with you. And then... Jesus takes it a step further and, and goes into the description of a whitewashed Culturally speaking, this is very, very similar to our culture in the sense of there was a great and appropriate reverence for those that passed. And, and so when someone that you love passes away, you still care for them, you miss them, you want to honor their memory. So in our culture, we'll put them in a very nice, beautiful casket. Um, we'll, we'll bury them in a, in a cemetery. And, you know, you go to those cemeteries, they're beautiful. And it's got this very peaceful feel. And that's a, there's appropriateness to that. And so, so back in Israel, where, where they would bury, there was... A, a, there were efforts made to keep the tombs clean. They'd have a whitewashed surface, very easy to bleach, very easy to clean. So as you'd be going by, you would see a beauty. See a, a, a it would remind you of things that brought peace. Okay? And Jesus is not speaking against that tradition at all. Jesus is focused on, again, the same analogy of the outward and the inward. So Jesus uses this analogy, again, to Pharisees that were very much, they prided themselves on their ceremonial cleanness. You can work as hard as you Pharisees want on cleaning the outside of the tomb. 
but the reality is, no matter how hard you clean the outside of the tomb, inside the tomb, which was the filthiest thing, the thing that made you most unclean. You're ignoring the problem. And, and your efforts and your efforts and your efforts and your work and your devotion and all of this stuff you're putting into purifying the outside, you're ignoring the larger problem inside your dead. He uses these two examples and he tells them what you really are like inside. You're caring about your appearance. You need to know what you're like inside, verse 25, inside you're full of extortion and self-indulgence. Verse 28, inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And that word lawless matters. I looked at several translations. Some of the translations had the word iniquity. Lawless is a way better word. Because he specifically, he doesn't just use a general word, you're a sinner. He uses the very specific word. You guys think you are the best law keepers. The reality is you're the greatest law breakers. You break the law, are wearing a mask. That word is hard. Let me give you a sad truth. They didn't care. They didn't care about their. There was a reason they were only working on the outside because they only cared about the outside. Here's your phrase. You got that little box. Write down. Uh, in a sentence or two, what the sermon's about. Here's what the sermon's about. They didn't care about holiness. They cared about the appearance of holiness. And there's a big difference. They didn't care about devotion to God. They wanted everyone to believe they were devoted to God. Their focus was not there. Their focus was in the mirror. How impressive can I look? Heartbreak. Here is the... If you flip your uh, outline over. God says how he will answer when your heart is that wrong and all you care about is the praise of others. God punishes you by giving you exactly what you Let's look at a few verses from Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6 verse 2 says, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the street, so that they may have their glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Look a few verses later. Look at how similar this verse is. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. But they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street. Why? So that they may be seen by men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. A few verses later, chapter 6, verse 13. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces. Why? So that they may appear to men to be fasting. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. I want Pastor Brian to be impressed with me as a parent. So I'm going to make sure on Sunday mornings, my kids get that lecture the whole way. Don't embarrass me in front of Pastor Brian. 
you make sure you say good morning to Pastor Brian. Make sure you have a smile, not a creepy smile, but a smile. Shake his hand. Pastor Brian's preaching, you better listen. Afterwards, you better go say good job. And then on the way home, I ask, smile at Pastor Brian. Oh, Pastor Brian, good job. And I dislocate my shoulder, patting myself on the back for what a good parent I am. My efforts were not, let me honor the Lord by being a good parent. My efforts, efforts were, let me impress Pastor Brian. The appearance of hope. And homeschooling now. Breaks my heart how many parents homeschool, not for the Lord, not for their kids, but to impress the other mom. Heartbreaking. Aim higher. Aim higher. I'm going to focus on pleasing other people, people that might forget about me the next day. Aim higher. Got to put enough social media posts and get enough likes. Who cares? If that's your reward, God will give it to you and you will feel as empty afterwards as you do before. And you'll need it again and again and again. And like Ecclesiastes said, you'll feel empty till you finally look to God. But we're stuck aiming low. Notice I said we. At this point in the sermon, if you're not convicted, I did a bad job. Or you did a bad job listening. Something happened. This passage spoke to the Pharisees. Jesus directly spoke to the Pharisees. You're hypocrites wearing a mask trying to impress the wrong people. And I can say of myself, studying this passage the last few weeks, I aim low way too often. I have this vivid memory preaching a sermon. It was a Sunday school lesson, one of my first. Esther's asked me, hey, can you teach this lesson? And I knew there was going to be a guy sitting about row three or four. And I knew he had a high standard. I was a 30-year-old who looked like I was 14. But, oh, he's not going to think I'm worthy to teach this. So my studies were focused on impressing him. I got to show him I'm smart. I got to show him I know what I'm talking about. I got to prove to him I'm a good teacher. On the drive home, felt this gross knot that I can't do that. I aimed low. I didn't preach for the Lord. I taught for some guy in row four that wasn't even going to be here. This lesson is hard, but this is one of the easiest lessons I've ever taught because it's not for you. It's for the Lord. These words are hard, but the meaning is really, really easy. For the Lord, if you're blessed, I want y'all to be blessed. Praise the Lord if you're blessed. But I'm amen higher than y'all. I'm amen higher than my wife. We have to do these things. We have to live our lives as unto the Lord. And we take off. So hopefully you're seeing you know, the, the hypocritical thing here. It's not. 
you're trying to be someone you're not. Because as Christians, in some sense, we're all doing that. We know, when we look at our hearts, we know, I stink. I've got all this pride and all of this evil within me. We know that exists, but we also know we're saved by grace, and so we're aiming higher. And that's not hypocritical. It's not hypocritical to try to live as unto the Lord. It's not hypocritical to try to be what God made us to be. So I, I want to be very cautious about that. I'm not saying don't smile. Pastor Brian did a wonderful Sunday school today. We're, we're supposed to be a blessed people because we have a blessed God. So we can smile. We can have had a rotten morning and still smile. That, that's not the same thing. The rebuke here is you're not trying fix the real you just trying to impress those around and that's what we got to get rid of so so as we look in the mirror and we say i'm not (laughs) he's talking to the pharisees but he's talking to me oh man feel free to look at the mirror and recognize that but then take your eyes off yourself real quick and look to christ because in christ we have the exact opposite we have the one who never a single instant of his life was who always had his focus where it should be. Look at those verses with me on Roman numeral three, letter A. His focus was God's glory, John 13, 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified. John 17, verses three and four, this is Jesus' great high priestly prayer. And this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work that you have given me. The Pharisees were all about self-righteousness. By God's grace, we don't have to. The Pharisees were all about, let me do this to impress you. I don't have to be focused on impressing you. I I shouldn't be unimpressive in the sense that I'm a reckless rebel. I should still care about how I live. But my focus is on Christ. My eyes are on him. The desire of my heart is to please him in everything. And I can do that because I can rest in him. did it all. Look at with me at the last verse on your notes. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. How much we have to rejoice that we praise a Lord who is everything we would want to be and then some. And he took our place. Pray. Father in heaven, this is a, uh, a passage that is like a sword that digs deep and really gets to the heart of things. It reveals who we are. It reveals who you are. We're thankful that you loved the Pharisees enough to speak truth into them. We're thankful you loved us enough 
to keep these words in your inspired word. They may speak to us today. We desire, Lord, to be those that can take off the mask. We want to be true. We want to be genuine. We want to live for you, but we know how often we stumble. We want to want to live for you, but we know how often our eyes go to other things and we're too caught up in trying to impress those around us. Turn our eyes on you. Turn our hearts. Devote us to you. This world is hard enough, Lord. Let us live through this world as we should, powered by the Holy Spirit. Let us be the law keepers have us be, not to earn our salvation, but because you've made us. Pray these things.